Hallelujah. Well, last night when I got to the airport and got my place in line and I sat down, there was a little boy that uh, came over and just crawled up in the chair beside me. And he looks at me and he goes, hi. I go, hi. And his parents are sitting down. They're looking at me. I looked over at them and smiled. And he goes, my name is Adam. I said, hi, Adam. My name is Dennis. He goes, I'm five years old. I said, Adam, I'm 64 years old. He goes, oh, you're older than my dad. But he's bigger than you. And Adam talks to me for just a few minutes and tells me about his dad and his mom, and they're laughing, and I'm talking with them. And Adam turns to the guy sitting in the other chair. He goes, hi, my name is Adam. I'm five years old. He looks at him, and he goes, hi, my name is Mike. He goes, Adam. He goes, Mike, you stink. And his mother's going, Adam, Adam, come here right now. Come here. He goes, but mama, he stinks. And I saw such a gracious and gentle man says, well, Adam, I've been working hard today, and it's hot in Florida, and I, I probably do smell bad. I'm sorry. And he just, you know, made, made the parents feel comfortable. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what a gracious, what a gentle man. I mean, that was a gentleman right there, not offended, and he didn't seem to let it get away with him. Well, Adam just keeps talking around and bouncing around, you know, and I'm thinking too much caffeine for this child today, and uh, hopefully I'm not sitting next to Adam on the plane back to Detroit. And so as I get a call that I have to take, and so I'm talking on the phone, and everybody's boarding on the plane. I keep saying, the last people are in line. I've got to go. They get, well, well, just a moment more. And so I'm talking, and finally, Stinky Mike comes over to me. He's been waiting, too, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, we don't want to miss our flight. And he said it loud. And the person says, oh, is it time to go? And I go, it's time to go. And so I looked at Mike, and I said, Mike, in my book, you're worth a million bucks. You know, sometimes it's hard. If you ever have those people, it's just hard to get off a phone call with them, you know? And uh, we got on the plane, and I just realized that some people just seem to have that extra special measure of grace and grit to them. They don't let anything fluster them, and they reach out, and they're always trying to be kind and to help. When I go to the gym, I, I don't see them so much here at the gym that I use here in Detroit, but when we're traveling and I'll go to a gym to keep up my exercise routines and especially the stretching that I have to do, there's always these little signs up that you'll see. Some I have saw are like this, hard equals good. How many of you have heard that before? Hard equals good. That's a good saying, I think. Another one, if you know the rest of it, say it. No pain. Everybody knows that one. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And by the way, it was a pastor by the name of Robert Schuller that coined that phrase. G.K. Chesterton says it best in my book when he talks about the love of God. He says, if you meet the Jesus of the Gospels, you must redefine what love is or you won't be able to stand him. And that is a powerful statement. Let me read that to you again. When you meet the Jesus of the Gospels, you must redefine what love is or you won't be able to stand him. 
And as a young person, I used to wonder all the time because there was a song that was very popular in the 70s when I was in high school, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing there's not just enough of. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains enough to climb. And the the artist goes on about the meadows and the rivers, but what the world needs now is love. Our high school choir sang that. Our band played that. It even became a popular Christian song. I can remember students singing it and swaying back and forth as we linked arms around one another. What the world needs now is love, more love. And I used to wonder, and I still do sometimes, how is it that when perfect love walked the face of the earth, we crucified him? And I came to terms early that we often don't recognize what true love is. We often don't recognize what love really looks like, acts like, talks like, and sounds like, especially if it conflicts with our definition of love. As Chesterton said, when you meet the Jesus of the Gospels, you must redefine what love is or you won't be able to stand him. We've looked at in this series on grit, we've looked at how people tried to change Jesus, but Jesus stayed true to who he was. Last week, we looked at Daniel and how that even though Daniel was an unknown, Daniel became a known because of his ability to love God in difficult circumstances and not become bitter. We saw as he got older, he didn't become even more bitter, but he got better. Even when those that he had saved turned upon him and tried to have him killed, and he ended up coming out of the lion's den, and he lived his life and ended his life well and successfully. This morning, I want to look at what we can learn from the life of the Apostle Paul when it comes to grit. When it comes to guts or courage, when it comes to the resilience like Mike showed me in the airport with a little five-year-old Mike and everybody sitting around, we want to have the sort of integrity that we see in our Savior's life. And remember, you can't have integrity without grit, G-R-I-T, and that word. And then we also want that tenaciousness. And so far, we've seen that in the life of Jesus. We've seen that in Daniel. This morning, we want to look at it in the life of Paul. So would you stand with me this morning out of respect for the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And may I say something just as a word of wisdom? I just kind of got checked on this. You know, it's good to be prepared. Can you say that with me? It's good to be prepared. Our Royal Rangers, our model is is be prepared. If I hadn't have been prepared for this Sunday morning, this would have been bad news because of our speaker falling through. So always be prepared. Be ahead of the game. Live your life ahead of the game as much as is possible. And before I read the Bible, by the way, this is Pastor Rick's birthday. This is his birthday. Happy birthday, Pastor Rick. You look good. And I'm going to tell you, Norma makes you look even better. I like your hat, by the way, Norma. You're looking young. This, I don't have, it looks good. I like, you look like you belong in Orlando, Florida with the kids today. But you know what? Let's sing happy birthday to Rick before I read. Can we do that? I don't think that's your reverend. And I'm not a good singer, so help me out. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Rick. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. Y'all, every one of y'all to take him out to dinner. I tell you what, if you want to give him a birthday gift, you can just text it to Woodland and put Rick in the memo line, and 
we'll be sure and get that to him. But we love you, Pastor Rick. Thanks for everything you do. Now, you show great grit and grace right there just now while we're saying to you. Let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, and it's left for us as the word of the Lord, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Three times, I was shipwrecked. Once, I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and had often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have my daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? And if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Paul didn't enjoy these mobs. Paul didn't enjoy these beatings. Paul did not enjoy these deprivations. But Paul welcomed them as gifts from God. And we want to take a look at that this morning and why he did. Our Father, we come to passages like this as comfortable Americans and we are challenged. We're challenged, Lord, from our complacent Christianity, our lukewarm Christianity. And we're reminded that our vision, Lord, is to become passionate followers of Christ. Jesus, in just a few weeks, I'll be teaching again, Discovering Woodland. And I'll talk about what that means to us, Lord, to be fully devoted to you holding nothing back in our hip pockets. And yet, Lord, how often we are tempted to complain or to think if things don't work out the way they should, then, God, you don't love us or maybe it's not worth following you. But I thank you that Jesus showed us that the way of the cross, that we might be saved, was more than worth it. I thank you that prior to Calvary, that Daniel showed us that even in the midst of a land of captivity, in a fiery furnace, in a lion's den, God, you were never far from the believer. And so now this morning, I pray, would you challenge us as you meant to do by the life of the Apostle Paul, that, Lord, we would develop the grit that you call all of us to have as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You may not know this, but Becky studied French and... Years ago, around our house, she put French words on everything, not only for her benefit, but we would have to say those words when we wanted something, and I can't remember any of those words now. (laughs) 
thank God for Google Translate when she challenges me on something. But one word I do remember is we would look at different words, and that's the word for the person who blesses, if you were to use the word blesser. In French, that word means to wound or to hurt. In other words, you're blessing somebody if you wound them or hurt them. It's why the Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's those times that we're wounded and it's those times that we endure hardship that most of us, instead of rejoicing like the Apostle Paul does in his sufferings, we wonder if somehow or another God has forsaken us or forgotten us or whether it's worth it at all to live for the Lord. Demas counted it not, and he forsook the Lord, and he forsook the Apostle Paul. Others, they tried to profit off of their faith, and when things didn't work out the way they hoped they would work out, they too abandoned the faith. Sometimes they would try to lead others astray, and that's what Paul meant when he said, I burned with anger when others were led astray. He suffered greatly to be a passionate follower of Christ. Eugene Peterson in the message translates Colossians 1, 24 and 25 like this. He says, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. It's what any parent would feel about their child. You would rather suffer than your child. You would rather suffer than your wife or than your husband. You would rather the pain and the affliction fall upon you. It's why the world doesn't often understand the love of God and how God could give his son because not only could we not pay the price for our sins, not only could we not atone for our sins, but we would suffer for eternity so Christ took all of that suffering upon himself gladly so that you and I might become sons and daughters of God. And that story will never become old. Paul goes on to write, there's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. Christ takes on our suffering. But Paul goes on to say, I welcome the chance to take my share, and the church is part of that suffering. When I became a servant in this church, I experienced the suffering as a sheer gift. Listen to that. I experienced the suffering as a sheer gift, God's way of helping me serve you laying out the whole truth. What is Paul saying here? He says, I welcome the suffering and count it a gift to suffer as a gift for you because it's what Christ would do for you. It was born, I believe, out of Paul's determination as he would write in other places that I was determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Hard is bad if you're not willing to pay the price for what hard produces. No pain, no gain is bad unless you're willing to pay the price for what the pain will gain you. You see, when I read those words, hard equals good, that flies in the face of so much of what we truly believe because hard is evil, hard is wrong, hard is not the will of God if it affects my standard of comfort, if it affects my standard of living, if it affects the pleasures of my life, then hard honestly can't be good because, Pastor, why would God allow this hardship to come into my life? I, I'm not comfortable. I'm not happy. This is not what I want. I, I'm angry at God, and I have heard this over and over through the decades of ministry. You see, the work of becoming the life of becoming a passionate follower of Christ is not for the faint-hearted. 
When we say those words, it's not just a catchy little saying, and there are people outside of our church that know what we believe in, that we celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. We never tell them it's going to be a bed of roses. We never tell them life is going to be easier when you give your life to Jesus. We tell them it's going to be more fulfilled. We tell them that it's going to be blessed. But you see, being a passionate follower of Christ, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for those who want to experience just comfort and pleasure in this life. There has to be a sense, I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. And I welcome the opportunity to take up my cross and follow him. It's that that produces in us the kind of grit that we see in the life of Jesus, the kind of grit that we see in the life of Daniel, and the kind of grit that you just read about in the life of the Apostle Paul. And please don't think for one moment that I hold myself or that Pastor Rick or Pastor Corey or Pastor Mark or any of our small group leaders or board members would hold themselves up as somehow or another, we can show you how to find the grit. We can tell you where to find the grit. The answer is not in human flesh. The answer is not in willpower. The answer is not even in sanctified willpower. But it is what Paul said in Ephesians 6.10. We must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The answer for that is not in flesh, but it's in Christ. And that's why I believe that we can learn and develop this grit as we look at Paul's life, because grit came from the content of his confession. Grit came from the content, what he truly believed, what he confessed, what he was willing to die for. You see, there is a vast, vast chasm, a vast canyon between the heart that is somehow or another fascinated by Christianity, between the heart that has an affinity for Christianity, between the heart that admires the teachings of Jesus, and between the heart that has been captured, captured and conquered by the love of God. You see, the heart that has this fascination and goes, oh, Jesus' teachings are wonderful, and oh, I think religion is a beautiful thing. But to have a heart that has been captivated by Christ and conquered by the love of Christ that says, though the world forsakes me, still I will follow. We are called to be passionate followers of Christ. And that strength is in him. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 31, if you want to boast Boast only about the Lord. Oh, I love to boast about my family. When I, Adam's mother and father came over and sat next to me last night in Stinky Mike, and I was pulling out pictures, and we were talking about our children because Adam reminded me so much of Andrew. Andrew would just walk up to total strange people. Back in the day before cigarettes were outlawed in restaurants, Andrew walked up to a lady one time who lit up, and he just put his hands in his pockets, and he says, you don't have to smoke cigarettes to be a cowboy. <laughs> She looked at him and put it out, and says, I guess not. Another time, he's sitting in the grocery buggy, and Becky's checking out, and there's this lady dressed really sexy-like and behind her, and Andrew leans around and looks at her. Becky pushes him back in the buggy. Andrew leans around and looks at her again. Finally, Andrew goes, hey, are you Jezebel? <laughs> you see, I love to tell you those stories. So I pulled out my phone last night, and I was showing pictures of my grandsons and my children. I told her the stories I told you, and soon even Stinky Mike is laughing with us, you know. 
I love to boast, but as I told them and as I'll tell you, everything that I have that I can boast about, whether it's you or whether it's my family, everything I can boast about, it's a gift from God. It's a gift that God has given. It's not something I've earned. It's not something I deserve. It's not something that I have a right to demand. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, gave me salvation and a family and a love and divine healing in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. There's where our boasting comes from. Jeremiah, the prophet who suffered himself. Daniel, whom we read a quote that he quoted from the book of Jeremiah. Daniel, who was influenced by the writings of Jeremiah last week as we looked at it. Jeremiah, this suffering prophet who was dropped into the bottom of a well and sunk up to his armpits in mud and mire, who suffered greatly for the cause of the Lord. Daniel wrote these words that God gave him. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. Circle those words, unfailing love who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. You see, if you don't understand love from God's perspective, when you meet Jesus, you won't like him very much because maybe you expect Jesus to pamper you. Maybe you expect Jesus to spoil you. Maybe you expect Jesus to do things the way you want him to do things. Maybe you measure God's love for you by the way God answers your prayers and does he make your life comfortable and does he make your life happy but does he lead you in places the way he led our savior does he lead you in places the way he led daniel does he lead you in places the way he led esther does he lead you in places the way he led paul because if he does you will discover when you meet jesus you have met the unfailing love of god and if you can stand the pulling god will pull you through anything and you will be glad you walk through that valley of suffering with him it's because of his grace that he does that. There was a lack of justice. There was a lack of righteousness. There was no lack of religion. Jeremiah wrote at a time when the sacrifices were taking place. Jeremiah wrote at a time where people were very religious, but they denied the reality and the power thereof of what their faith was all about. I meet all kinds of people who like religion, who even like the aspects of Christianity that fit within their lifestyle. You see, they have an affinity. They have an affection for the teachings of Jesus, but their hearts have not been conquered and captivated by Christ. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling with some things going on in your life today. And you're wondering, why hasn't God done this? Why isn't God loving me the way he's loved others? Friends, there are many of us in this room who could tell you how God has brought us through and why he allowed us to go through through those things have made us better men and women today. Yes, God delights in justice, and yes, God delights in righteousness, but God delights in the character he is producing in you better this morning. Back in my youth pastor days, Jay Kessler, who wrote a lot of youth ministry things, used a, an illustration about the bathosphere. Bathosphere, as you've seen on National Geographic Channel or Discovery Channel, is those 
those round submarines that have thick, thick steel plates and thick windows that they can just drop right to the bottom of the ocean. The pressures at that depth would just collapse a submarine. And I've been out on one of our nuclear submarines from Kings Bay in Georgia, and what a marvel of engineering, but they could not take the pressure of the bathosphere. The bathosphere goes upon this planet where the pressure is the greatest, where it's the most intense. And there from inside the safety of that bathosphere, when those aquanauts turn on the lights and suddenly they see they're surrounded by fish and other living creatures that are swimming around. Those fish are soft and they're flexible and they're swimming around this bathosphere and we wonder how they can survive at such depths. It's because they have this uncanny ability that God created them with that they're able to balance the pressure from the outside with what's on the inside of those fish. And ladies and gentlemen, when you are full of the Spirit of God, you are able to handle the pressures of this world because greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. Things aren't going to get easier. The world is not going to get better. Jesus said that troubles like this would increase, but if God be for us, who can be against us this morning? Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. You see, you don't have to be hard. You don't have to be thick-skinned. You don't have to be critical because God's power is equal inside of you, more than equal to the pressure outside of you this morning. And that's what many people in this congregation would tell you. So boast only in what God has done in and through us this morning. Let's don't boast about what we've done or what we've accomplished, but let's boast about what God has done in us. And maybe this morning you're going, Pastor, what, what do I boast about that God has done? Can I just kind of help you for a moment? And you may want to write some of these ideas out on the outside of your bulletin. And I know that unsolicited advice is unwelcome advice, but I have the pulpit this morning. Maybe you want to stop and think about when you graduated from high school, when you graduated from college, when you earned your degree, or maybe why you dropped out of college and how God has helped you to be successful. Maybe you want to write about getting married and having your children. Maybe you want to write about how you didn't get the job you wanted, or maybe you got the job you wanted and what you learned from those lessons. Maybe you want to write about a promotion that you got, or maybe a promotion you didn't get. Maybe you want to write about having children and having teenagers. Last night, the mother those, those little Adam said to me, she says, oh, I dread the day he becomes a teenager. And I said, please don't dread that day. There will be challenging times, but can I tell you, you stick with Adam. You guys love each other. You be committed to Christ and you love Adam. And when he comes through those teenage years, you'll still question God, why, why, why? But you'll be so glad that he becomes the young man. And then I begin to show pictures of my children and how proud we are and boast of what God has done. Friends, write about those moments. Write about missions trips. Write about when you were sick. Write about when you recovered from your sickness. Write about when your spouse died or when your spouse left you and what you learned from that. Write about the first time you had to go to dinner by yourself after a divorce or the first time you went out with a group of married friends after a divorce or after you lost your loved one. Write about how God pulled you through those things. And the second thing I'd say is then reflect upon that. What did you learn? What did God teach you during that time? And what are you doing differently as a result of what you learned. 
And then I have one other thing I want to say to you about that because I think you'll discover what I discovered as I began to go through this exercise years ago that every single trial that I went through, every single thing that didn't work out the way Becky and I thought maybe it ought to work out, what I have learned is when I learned the lesson and why God brought us through, it's like learning a new golf swing. It's like learning a new tennis swing. It's like learning a new way to sing. It's always awkward when you put the lessons to work. Isn't that right? It's always awkward. And so, friends, I'm going to say something. You know that I love this word, and you know that I've said before how I hate to see this word misused, but I have learned something because of the grace of God. Awkward is awesome. Awkward is awesome because the most awesome blessings in my life have come out of the greatest awkwardness of my life as well. And so don't be afraid of the suffering. And secondly, then just give all the glory to God. Thank him. On your knees, thank him. When you're driving, thank him. When you're in the shower, thank him. When you come to church, lift your Stop sitting in the foyer waiting on the sermon. Come inside and sing with the rest of us, and let's give praise and glory and honor to God. Get up 15 minutes earlier and come to church on time, and let's gather and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Can somebody please say amen this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm about ready to shut that coffee shop down. We need to come in and sing to the Lord. Nothing you're talking about out there is more important than who we're singing to in here. Nothing you're talking about out there is more important than who we're singing to in here. And it's important that we come in to worship the Lord. And then finally, recognize that everything is a gift from God. Now, I have a little exercise. I don't normally do this, but it's summertime and we're not packed out this morning, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, for your children and grandchildren, what are the qualities, what are the character qualities you want to see in their life? And I want you to, would you write down two or three on your outline? I'm going to get a drink of water while you do that, and just write down two or three character qualities you would like to see in your children or your grandchildren. All right, somebody call out a word to me. What character quality do you want to see in your children or grandchildren? Just call it out. What? Wise, thank you. Somebody else? Who? Strong character. Okay, well, I need a word for that. What? Leadership. What else? Character. One at a time. Honesty. Honesty, yeah. Somebody else? Integrity. Okay, well, there's so many right now. You're doing good. Now, let me ask you something. Now, just stop and think. I heard wise, I heard honesty, I heard integrity, I heard character. Now, think about what you just said. What does a person have to face in order to develop those characteristics? What do you have to face? You have to face pain. You have to face hardship. You have to face maybe the pain of being honest instead of lying. You have to face the pain of making the right choice when everything in you wants to make the wrong choice. You have to face the pain, if you want to become wise, of learning and being mentored and being observing. 
You see, when Jesus called his disciples, and that's what our word disciple, we just simply spell it out, a passionate follower of Christ. When Jesus called his disciples, that was not the way things normally happened. Disciples would look for someone they admired and say, come be our teacher. And then the teacher would teach them. And then if they were deemed worthy, they would go to a next level where they would walk with the teacher and learn how to be wise because you have to have something to build upon to learn to be wise. And then if they were worthy to be wise, then, and it just kind of thinned out, it just kept thinning out. Then if they were deemed worthy to be wise, then they themselves became rabbis or teachers or mentors. And you see, there's this sense where Jesus is saying to all of us, come to me. Come to me, you that are weary. Come to me, that are heavy laden. Stop trying to work it out on your own. Come and be passionate followers of me. Come and I will teach you these things. I will make you wise and I will fill you with my Holy Spirit. You will be able to face the pressures of this world. You will be able to face the challenges of this world. But that does not mean that God is going to keep you from suffering because it's in suffering that you learn the power of God. And if you want your children to be wise, if you want your children to be courageous, if you want your children to be fearless, if you want your children to be diligent, then they have to suffer the agonies. And too often parents are trying to protect them from the very thing that God wants to use to make them. We welcome the coach putting us through our paces. We welcome the coach making us do our two-a-days. We welcomed our teachers who made us what we are today. Friends, let's welcome the work of the Holy Spirit as God makes men and women of faith out of us this morning. Somebody say hallelujah. Paul wasn't mentally ill. Paul knew it was these sufferings that was producing in him the kind of man God had called him to be. I challenge you, don't protect your children from the things that God is calling your children to be by trying to protect them and shelter them too much in this world. Secondly, this morning... What I see in Paul's life is that grit, his grit came from the congruity of his life and message. You see, people would falsely accuse Paul. They would say things about him, but they would always be found, just like Jesus, they would always be found to be wrong. Now, Paul had character flaws. He's honest about them. Matter of fact, we see a bad spat between Paul and Silas that caused them to, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas that caused them to separate. And then Silas went with Paul. It's something that I think pained Paul. I think you see echoes of it in his writings. Something that caused him grief. None of us are perfect, and there are going to be those times in our lives. But no one could ever say that Paul did not walk his talk. No one could ever say that Paul's life did not match. There was congruity. You see, there's something that Paul wrote about in the book of Galatians that I think gives you the key to understanding where the grit came from his life. Because Paul was not constantly looking at his failure saying, I've got to shore this up, I've got to shore that up. Paul was not constantly looking at his works and say, I've got to do this to be pleasing to God, or if I'm not doing this, God is not going to like me anymore, or maybe I'm suffering, maybe I'm shipwrecked because I haven't done enough for Christ. Paul knew the grace of God. There is a reason that we call grace amazing. Can you say amen this morning? 
It's why I did a whole sermon one Sunday morning a few years ago on the life of John Newton, how amazing grace changed his life, and it's still the most song song in the world today. But grace is amazing because grace goes against everything that common sense tells me. Common sense tells me I will never be able to stand before a holy God. Common sense tells me that standing in the presence of God, I would be consumed in the fire of his holiness. And when I hear silly people saying, well, if God doesn't like me the way I am, then I don't have any time for God. You're just revealing your ignorance about who God is because none of us can stand in the presence of a holy God. But the grace of Jesus, the grace that taught my heart to fear, the grace that brought the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ into our lives that we will celebrate in communion together next week. It's that grace that enables us to stand. That's not common sense. That's amazing grace this morning. And you see, it's grace that tells me I'm not stuck in a rut because common sense would tell me at 64, there are some things about my life I can't change. Can the leopard change his spots? Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin, the Bible says. But you see, grace says you can change if you're lost in your sin, if you're bound in sinful habits, my grace can set you free because when you become born again, you become a brand new creation in Christ and all things pass away and all things become new. Grace says I can change no matter where I'm at in life. Grace says I can become a man or a woman of God. Common sense tells me the world is too dangerous. Common sense tells me that if I'm honest about my faith and share my faith, then people won't like me and people won't reject me and it will hurt my career. But grace tells me that God is able to take his word and use it in me like a sword. And God is able to take the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the wicked and that I can go forth not with an abrasive heart and not with a hard heart, but with a loving heart and the power of the Holy Spirit and convince my critics to become committed followers of Jesus Christ this morning. That's what grace does. We do not rely on the arm of flesh, but we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Remember, the pressure won't get any easier, but God who lives within us is greater than he who comes against us. That's the word of the Lord. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with God-given holiness and sincerity in our dealings, in all of our dealings. Boy, what a way to live. What a way to go to bed at night. People's names have been safe in your mouth. Oh, I know you wouldn't steal anything. I know you wouldn't go out and get drunk and smash your car into somebody, but God's name has been safe in my mouth. I've set no vile thing before my eyes, as Job has said. I've given forgiveness instead of hate and bitterness. I've given love and acceptance. And we're not angry at this world. We're not bitter at this world. But like our Father, we love this world. And we realize that abrasiveness never persuaded anybody. But a life that is congruent with how we're called to follow Jesus. You see, he says we've done this not because we're good people. We've depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we've conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. Our letters have been straightforward and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand.
I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. And I hope someday that if you don't fully understand this message, that you will listen, you will look over these verses, that you will fully understand the power of a congruent life. You see, then on that day when Jesus returns, when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. It's why I make my boast about you in your lives. Becky leaned over to me this week and told me there's a couple in our church who's going on the hike of a lifetime. They're going from the south rim to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And I started laughing. I've done part of that. They're going to do the whole thing. And they're going to do it together. And I leaned over to Becky. I said, they're going to learn things about each other they never knew before in their lives. <laughs> she started out. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to pray, pray, pray. <laughs> you see, it's a hard journey, but it's the hard journeys that bring the beauty out of life. Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, that I mentioned in the first message, she writes these words, grit is not just having resilience in the face of failure, but also having deep commitments that you remain loyal to over many years. You see, Christ has been loyal to you and me. And there's something that comes from having lived our lives for Christ and lived our lives for one another. It brings the guts or the courage, the resilience, the integrity, and it brings to us the tenacity to conquer all of life's challenges. And then finally this morning, and I want you to know that great for Paul came from the knowledge that God was with him. God was with him. You see, we've looked at, so far through this series of messages, we've looked at the fact that Jesus was abandoned by God on the cross. My God, my God, why, thou, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus is the only one. I just want to tell you, Jesus is the only one that we're going to read about that God forsook. We'll look at another character that thought God had forsaken him. But Jesus is the only one that God ever forsook. And God forsook him in order that you would never be forsaken. You see, he did not abandon Moses in the wilderness, and he did not abandon Daniel in the lion's den, and he did not abandon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace as we looked at last week. And God will never, never abandon you. A little over 60 years ago during the war, Gladys Hayward was a missionary that was caring for orphans in an orphanage like those that we support. They were being forced to flee because of the Japanese invasion. And as they began to cross over the mountains, the Himalayan mountains, and to free China to, to escape the Japanese, Gladys finally was exhausted. She had a hundred girls with her. Can you imagine? She'd been up all night crying, and she was exhausted and worn out. And as the children began to wake up the next morning, they found Gladys crying. And she just said, I can't go any further. We're not going to make it. I can't do it. And a little 13-year-old girl, according to Gladys, came up to her and said, Sister, sister, 
God has not abandoned us. God was with Moses, remember? And Gladys cried out to her, but I am no Moses. And the little 13-year-old girl looked at our sister Gladys and says, you don't have to be a Moses because God is still God. I'm telling you this morning, friends, I am not a Daniel. I am not a Moses. I am not a Paul. But God is still God this morning. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He will bring you through. Somebody say praise God this morning. Hallelujah. It's why Jesus said in John 16, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. A few years ago, Pastor A.J. wanted me to read an article. I didn't know the actress. Her name was Megan Fox. And she had starred in a movie at that time that all the kids had been going to see that was filmed here in Detroit called Transformers. But he highlighted some things for me to read in the article. And I just want to read to you something that I kept. I didn't realize that Megan had grown up in an Assemblies of God church like this one. I didn't realize her background. She said, I have seen crazy things happen during worship services. I've seen people healed. And even now in the church I go to during praise and worship, sometimes I feel like I could just begin to pray and pray in tongues. She said, I can't stand, pill- I can't stand pills. I don't like drinking. And I don't feel like I don't like feeling out of control. You see, I was confused as I read the article because Megan in no way was professing to be a passionate follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, she had walked away from her faith, but she said she still went to church. And the context of the article was why very successful actresses sometimes committed suicide. And she goes on, In answer to that question, she says this. You have to understand, at church, I feel safe. I was raised to believe that you're safe in God's hands, but I don't feel safe with myself. When I read those words, I thought, how wise. And maybe this morning... You've had some horrible, terrible thoughts. Maybe you've had some thoughts because I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Daniel, and you didn't even want to come this morning. You were hoping the guest speaker would be here so you wouldn't hear another message about grits. And maybe he'd give you seven easy steps how to get out of the problem that you're in. What if the problem that you're facing is God's answer to your next step of becoming a passionate follower of Christ? What if the challenge you're facing is God's provision for a miracle in your life? And that thought of giving up your faith or maybe even taking your life is not from God. That thought is from the father of all lies who hates you and wants to see you 
eternally separated from God. I'm here to tell you, none of us are safe with ourselves, but we are safe in the arms of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you if you would, if you're able, to make your way to the front because I want to pray you through our growth work this morning. And would you just slip on out? There's not going to be any music or anything like that. I just want you to come, and you're welcome to kneel or stand, but let's just, everyone, if you will, come on down front because I love you, and I want us to walk through this growth work in prayer together. Come on in close. We're not going to play any music to get you feeling right. We just want to pray together. You see, in the life of Jesus and in the life of Daniel and now in the life of Paul that we've looked at, grit is, grit is I'm defining biblical grit and spiritual grit. It's a gift of God's grace. None of us have the courage. None of us have the resiliency. None of us have the integrity in ourselves or the tenaciousness to face what these great heroes of faith have faced. But you see, we have a gift, and his name is Jesus. And he's living inside of us, and he is doing something in us today. He's bearing what's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering, self-control, faithfulness. I could go on. But God is also doing something else. He's equipped us with the gifts of the Spirit that we might have the power to do the work of God in our generation. Well, you have to apply yourself to wisdom. I understand that. But it's not the applying that makes you acceptable to God. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you acceptable to God. So I'm going to ask you, would you just kind of close your eyes right now? And I want us to do a biblical self-assessment of ourselves. And I want to ask you this morning, why do you love him? You don't have to answer out loud, but just kind of think about that. Why do you love him? And when things are going well in your life, do you love God more then than you do during hardship? Do you find yourself praying less when you're being blessed with God, with personal comfort and success and pleasure? Do you find yourself praying less than when you're going through hardship? And do you equate answers to your prayer coming in the way that you want them to come? Do you equate those with God's being pleased with you? And when your prayers are not being answered, maybe God is not happy with you. You see, friend, 
God doesn't love you more today than he loved you when you were lost in your sin. He has always loved you. Always cared about you. And when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want him to answer our prayer, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It means that God is for us. Because if God shielded you from the pain or the hardship or the suffering that he brings as a gift into your life, it would be just like you trying to shield your children from learning the honesty, the integrity, the wisdom, the fearlessness they can only learn by facing life struggles. Now ask yourself, is the pressure too great? If it's too great, then maybe what you need is not more activity. But maybe what you need to do is wait upon the Lord. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. Now, would you just pray about that for a moment? Father, hopefully one of these questions has touched a chord somewhere in our heart. And right now, we're just assessing ourselves, as the Word would say. If we seek first the kingdom and all of your righteousness, oh, Lord, you will add everything we need in life. Oh God, when you allow these things to come, may we, like James, count it all joy. May we, like Paul, count it as a gift. For we know that, Lord, they have not come to defeat us, but they have come to build us up and to make us more than conquerors in Christ. Every Goliath is going to fall. Every brother of Goliath is going to fall. Lord, every enemy is going to fall. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but rejoice not over me, my enemy, when I have fallen, for I will rise again. And you have called me to be more than a conqueror. It's what Micah says. The book of Micah says. So my friends, right now, would you just lift your hands and would you just say these words to the Lord as I read them to you? I am convinced. Come on, lift your hands up. Say it loud. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Hallelujah. Can we give him a hand of praise now? Now think about what you just prayed. Because if you meet the Jesus of the Gospels and you don't define love the way God defines love, you're not going to like Jesus very much. But this morning, if you're willing to accept him, you will know love 
unlimited, without boundaries, and you'll know what you're created for. So one more time, I'm just asking you to bow your heads. Almost everybody in this building is down here, but I just can't dismiss this morning. If you're not committed to Christ, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand or anything like that, but would you pray this prayer with me? You pray it quietly, and there are people all in this room. There are people who pray with me every week that people who don't know God will commit their lives to him. Just pray, Heavenly Father, I have heard about Jesus this morning. I've heard about your amazing grace. I'm asking you to forgive my sins and make me a brand new creation. I don't understand it all, but my way is not working. I want to follow in the way of Christ. So as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, if you prayed that prayer, there's some folks at the back. They're going to give you a packet. It's a new believer's packet. If you're a guest today, pick that up. And I just want to speak a blessing over you as you go forth. May God in his infinite wisdom and love, make his face shine upon you. May he make your hands to prosper diligently in everything that you do. May he make your way before you successful. And may you be more than overcomers in Jesus Christ. Amen. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.